All right, well, here we are again on a Wednesday here at Heritage Christian Center for uh, discipleship class number two. A lot of buzz in the room for those of you who are joining us online. And by the way, if you're joining us online, welcome. We had um, uh, 92 people with us live last week, and then more have watched through uh, different outlets uh, since last week. So that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. And um, at some point, um, well, these folks may not want their, uh, you know, may, may want their privacy, but I'd like to turn the camera around for everybody online to see how many folks are in the room. So uh, it's, uh, it's a blessing. Shout out to uh, Pastor Cornelius over in uh, Nairobi. Uh, he went through the class last year, and he has some pastors that are going through it with him over there this year. So that's exciting to uh, have folks uh, in other countries joining us. Um, so uh, God's kingdom's growing. He said that he'd build his church and, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And he said that when he brought his kingdom, it would be like um, a woman putting a little bit of yeast in a whole bag of flour. And eventually that little bit of yeast would uh, take over that whole bag of flour. He said his kingdom was like that. So um, I say all that to say, if you're born again, you're in the kingdom. And if you're in the kingdom, you're a part of something that will have no end. Amen. And so that's uh, exciting stuff. And we'll get to a class that we call Kingdom Overview, but that'll be a few weeks yet. So anyway, I hope everybody's doing well tonight and um, good things coming to, uh, to you and to uh, your families. And I'm very, very excited about you being here for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons is, you know, the, the more we put ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us, um, then those things always elevate us. The call of God on your life is an upward call. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in Proverbs. We see this in the New Testament. Um, Father God's always trying to bring you to a higher place, to a better place in life. And our willingness to cooperate with Him makes a big difference on whether or not He's able to do that and even the pace that He's able to, to do that in. Have you, have you ever noticed, um, and, and don't be uh, hating on them, but have you ever noticed like, some folks come into the kingdom and you know, get born again, and they just start growing like crazy. I mean, they just start progressing and developing the things of God. And then, you know, you got folks that, that have been born again for 50 years, and, and they still need a bottle, right? And it's not because God's playing favorites. It's, 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 and we'll talk about that some tonight for sure, but it's, it's a willingness on your part as an individual, on my part as an individual, to, to cooperate with God, to, to come alongside Him and allow Him to, to help us as only He can. Amen. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray and, and we'll get started. Father, thank you uh, once again for this evening together. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, that it's your Holy Spirit who has uh, drawn us to this place. Lord, we may point to a quality decision that we made. We may point to, uh, you know, a desire on our part to, to learn and grow. But, but ultimately, Father, we're here because your Holy Spirit has, has drawn us and has given us the ability and the capacity to say yes to you when you uh, move on our hearts to do something. Lord, I thank you for imparting to each one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you uh, as we join together, uh, setting our hearts and minds, affections and attentions upon you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that um, you are revealing to us uh, hidden things, Father. Lord, things that we could never understand or come to uh, with our own intellect. But, Father, it's your Holy Spirit who's revealing these things to us. And we thank you in advance for that as we join in together tonight. In Jesus' name, 
Amen and uh, amen. So let me put the, uh, the title slide back up. Um, really, we, we could call this part two. Last week was introduction to uh, discipleship. Uh, but instead of part two, uh, among other things tonight, we're going to talk about discipleship as an uncommon commitment. Discipleship as an uncommon commitment. And as we've worked our way through you know, some of these things, just you know, really kind of getting our feet wet in what discipleship is and what it's all about and what God desires to accomplish in our lives, we've looked at some you know, spiritual things, uh, but, but now you know, we're also looking at practical things because uh, discipleship is where you know, spiritual and practical uh, meet. Um, you are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. And obviously, the real you is that spirit deep inside of you. But, you know, the, the decisions we make, the things that we think about, meditate upon, and, and then the, the actions that we take. You know, faith without works is dead. It's dormant. So it's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to put legs to the faith. And so that's what I mean by the spiritual and the practical coming together. Um, let's begin with our uh, keystone verse, uh, and that's Matthew chapter 11. And um, in verse number uh, 28, uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. If you haven't, uh, you know, familiarized yourself with these verses, uh, I would encourage you to do so. They are uh, some extremely uh, important verses. I call it the the great invitation. You know, we we see later in the Gospels where we we get the great commission. You know. But this is, this is not being commissioned, so, so to speak, as it is that we're being invited. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So um, full disclosure here, uh, for many years... Uh, I guess probably until my early teenage years, I thought, you know, you'd hear this talk about a yoke, um, and uh, I always thought egg yolk. I know, I know it's kind of dumb, I know, but I, that's just what I thought, you know. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about. He's not talking about an, uh, an egg yolk, Y-O-L-K, but a yoke, Y-O-K-E. And um, I'll uh, put a picture of one up for us to, uh, to look at. Now, one of the things, and I felt impressed to mention this uh, a lot, and I think there's multiple reasons for that. One is because it's something the Lord's been doing in my life now for about, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And, and that's the difference between um, philo for the Lord and agape for Him. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And, and when you look at that picture of the cross and all that Jesus, you know, went through for us on that cross, um, you know, it's, it's easy to have, you know, affectionate feelings for him when we consider, you know, how he suffered for us. And when we consider that, you know, we should have, you know, been put to death for our sin, but Jesus allowed himself uh, to be put to death in our place. And so there's something about the cross that stirs up those kinds of feelings, right? But in the same way that the cross represents our salvation, is an emblem of our salvation, uh, the, the yoke is the emblem for discipleship. And if the yoke stirs up, uh, I'm sorry, if the cross stirs up agape, then certainly uh, 
<laughs> I said it backwards. If the cross stirs up philo, then the yoke, right, represents uh, that agape. And for those of you who weren't here, um, agape, agape uh, there's one word, it means more than this, but there's one word I want you to think of more than any, anything else when you hear the word agape. You remember what that is? Respect, right? It's respect for the Lord. And it carries with it the idea of duty and responsibility and, and the part that we have to, uh, you know, offer to cooperate uh, with Him. Philo, one word that I want you to think of, philo, you know, love, that feelings, right? So we said a disciple is someone who uh, moves beyond just affectionate feelings for the Lord uh, and, and develops this sense of responsibility, this sense of, of duty, this faithfulness, this commitment. And so do you see why a yoke is uh, uh, not just something Jesus talked about, but, but becomes the symbol um, for that? Someone once said, a picture's worth a thousand words. You ever, you ever heard that uh, expression? I'm not sure I agree with, agree with that. That's not a Bible verse, by the way. That's not in uh, uh, the book of Hezekiah or something like that. That's, you won't find that in the Bible. But, but I think there, you know, there's obviously, you know, pictures can, can say things that, that words alone um, cannot say, but you know, uh, I, I'm I'm not sure. Again, I agree with the statement that a picture is worth a thousand words because words are extremely important. But this picture certainly does reveal a lot to us about discipleship and what it means to move forward in these things. Um, let's uh, just real quick, like two of our key words from last week. Uh, this word manthano, um, it uh, means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. And so this would be the effort that um, the student brings to the table, so to speak. Um, and then coinciding with this highest form of learning uh, is this highest form of teaching. And that's this word didasco, uh, didasco. And didasco is teaching for the purpose of assimilating oneself into those being taught. And assimilate is this word to make similar, to make similar. And so we're going to build on that a little bit as we begin tonight. The verse that we looked at is in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Will be like his teacher. So discipleship is about you and I becoming like Christ. Becoming Christ-like. I know that may you know, kind of be a no-brainer, but I think it's important for us to... Uh, to point out that, you know, Jesus as a disciple maker and now the Holy Spirit in our lives as a disciple maker, the, the, the interest here is to make you and to make me similar to him, like him. And, you know, this is more than this casual learning. This, this, this is more than just, um, you know, learning a little bit about something. Uh, what I call being a jack of all doctrines but a master of none. There's a lot of people who know a, a little bit about a lot of things from the Bible but have never really made the kind of commitment that is required for uh, discipleship. Now, if this sounds a little maybe foreign to you, I, I want to I show it to you uh, in the Scriptures. And um, so let's begin in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And what it says there, uh, speaking of, of God, it says, For whom he foreknew. Now, before I read these verses, let me, let me just ask you to kind of take a deep breath and, and don't just go straight to what you've been told or maybe what you already believe 
about these verses, okay? Uh, let's take a fresh look at them. And so he says, whom he foreknew, to foreknow something means to know it beforehand. And we covered that last week, right? You, not only did he know you before you were formed in your mother's womb, he gave you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before the worlds began. Um, let, let me see if I can say it another way. Uh, can, you, can you imagine this conversation taking place in heaven? Father God looking over at Jesus and going, who is that dude right down there? And there's, just, there's nobody that he doesn't know, and there's nobody that he didn't know beforehand. Okay, He's an all-knowing God. So whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So you hear the doctrine of predestination, and it sounds just so formal, almost you know, frightening. Um, to, to be predestined means to be given a destiny beforehand. So, so before you ever lived on this planet, Father God knew you and had already assigned a destiny to you. Don't you think about that? What his destiny for your life is, what he decided beforehand your destiny was to be what? Was to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. We see in John 17 where Father God loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. Man, that's sometimes hard for us to wrap our hearts and minds around. But he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. And so let me go back to the, to the top. For whom he foreknew, he also predetermined, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We often hear him, Jesus, referred to as the only begotten son of God. Anybody ever heard that expression? Well, there was a time when he was the only begotten son of God. But those days have long since passed. He's no longer the only begotten Son of God. He is now the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. Now, watch this verse 30. It says, moreover, more besides, whom he predestined. What's the predestination here? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Right? So there's a lot that we will unpack, but when he's talking about being called of God, this is, you know, we see in Scripture that, that God's calling every person to himself. We see in Scripture this word justified. Here, let me give you an easy way to remember what justified means. It means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. So whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified these he also glorified. If glorified makes you nervous, it shouldn't, but a lot of people it does. If glorified makes you nervous, just think of this like this. He promoted you. God wants to promote you. And this goes back to the first thing Jesus told us in his first public sermon, right? That you are the light of the world and you belong on a pedestal, not under a basket. Now, Father God's not interested in you putting yourself on a pedestal. He's not interested in other people putting you on a pedestal, but he wants to put you on a pedestal because he puts good he put good things in you that he wants other people in this world to benefit from all right now let's go to 1st John 4:17 1 John 4, 17. So remember now what is what is discipleship discipleship's about a lot of things and and discipleship is about you and I being made similar being made like Jesus and we're seeing now that this was our destiny from the beginning to be conformed into the image of His Son. 
So look at this in 1 John 4, 17. It's a remarkable verse. It says this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, speaking of Jesus, because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Now, let me mention something here that um, you, you will hear me mention at, at other times you know, as we progress through these classes. One of the critical mistakes a lot of people make is they try to bring the Word of God down to a level that matches their experience. Okay? So, for instance, when the Bible says, by His stripes you were healed... Well, if your hip or knee or shoulder is hurting you and the scriptures say that you were healed and your shoulder says you are not healed, right? We've got a conflict. And so the error that people make is they say, well, that must not be what the Bible means. Or God doesn't do that anymore. Or this or that or what have you. So the point being... We, we try to bring the, what God's Word says down to match our experience. And, and why is that such a critical error? It's a critical error because we should instead let the Word of God bring our experience up to match what it says. Are you, are you, are you following what I'm saying here? So, for instance, if you've been born again, the Bible says that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's back to that justification word. That, that, that same word translated justified in the English Bible is translated other places, um, righteousness or righteous, okay? To be made right before God in the eyes of God. You've been given that. You've been made that and given that as a gift, Something you didn't earn or pay for. It's not something you do for God to earn. It's something that Jesus earned for you, something He did for you. Okay? So the Bible says that he who knew no sin was made sin for you so that you might become, might be made, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I could give you verse after verse. And again, we will spend at least one whole class on righteousness and what it means to be righteous. So just stay tuned for that. But I bring it up now because... We see all these things the Bible says about this, but then we look at our life experience and we look at some of the areas of, the, of sin that we may still be struggling in and so forth and so on. And so the idea is, well, yeah, it's not talking about me or that must not be what that means or, 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 you know, we start trying to make excuses, water it down, trivialize it to match our experience. But instead, we, we got to say, you know what, <laughs> if this is what the Word of God says, and I should be living up here, but I'm instead living way down here, I'm not going to take the Word and bring it down to match my, my life experience, but I'm going to let the Word of God, living and powerful, transform my life experience to match what it says already is true about me. Does this make sense? All right. So when the Word of God says love's been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. My friend, I didn't write that. You, under, you understand this, right? I, I'm not making this up. This is, this is what the Word of God says about you, and, and let, me, let me say it another way. It's, it is what the Word of God says about you, but, but what is this doing? It's revealing your Heavenly Father's perspective on your life, your potential, your capabilities. This is how He sees you. This may not be how you see yourself, but this is how He sees you. He says, as Jesus is, so are you, so are we in this world. Amen. 
So are, are you seeing that? And listen, I, I got it already. If, if your life experience, my life experience isn't, isn't reflecting this, um, that just simply means we got some growing up to do. Doesn't mean the Bible's wrong. And the more we begin to see ourselves in light of, remember, I, I don't know if we've got there yet or not, but have we talked about discipleship? Yeah, we mentioned it in the overview. Uh, discipleship is about discovery, not becoming discovering who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is one of those verses that's, that, that indicates something that's true about you that you may have never considered. And had the Bible not uh, clearly stated it, um, you, you may not have believed it was true. If somebody like you know, me or, or, or another preacher or teacher you know, said something similar to that and, and there was no Bible verse to back it up. But now notice what we're seeing. We're seeing in Romans 8 that God decided before any of us ever lived that His ultimate plan for you was to be conformed in the image of His Son, to be just like Jesus is to Him, to, for you to uh, you know, uh, be loved by Him the way Jesus is loved by Him, and for as Jesus is to be like Jesus in this world. Man, that's, that's encouraging to me, all right? So here's the bottom line. Jesus was and still is looking for people who will make the necessary discipleship commitment so that he can pour himself into and make us similar to himself. He, he wants to pour himself into you. He wants you to come alongside him in that yoke of discipleship and, and do life together with him. Let, let me listen to me now, please. I'm a teacher. I, it's what I'm called to do is put my, mom, my mama's womb to do it, okay? And, and I, there's certainly, what we're doing right now is extremely, extremely important. Not because I say so, because the Bible says so, right? But we come to a class to learn about discipleship, but discipleship takes place throughout the course of your day. Does that make sense? It, it's, it's when you begin to recognize that Jesus is in you and he's with you and you begin to include him and involve him in your life decisions and you begin to ask him questions and, and, and it, are you following what I'm saying? And you develop that fellowship with him and that oneness with him and that closeness with him. Okay. The, these are uh, extremely, extremely important things. I, I tell anybody who will listen to me, Develop a pattern of behavior in your life, also known as a habit. Develop a habit in your life of talking to God about everything. Talk to Him about everything. Okay? Now, one, because He wants to talk to you and He wants to teach you and He has something to say good about everything that has anything to do with your life. All right? But if you'll develop that habit and there ever comes a day where you're not wanting to talk to him about something, it'll be a really big red flag, right? All of a sudden you realize, man, there's some reason I'm trying to hide this from God. There's some reason why I'm not wanting to talk to him about this, you know? And, and again, it, it becomes a, a means of, of protection, right? It becomes a, a safety net, if you will. Now, I want to go back to this pattern, and it's such an important pattern. It is, it is the pattern of, of, of salvation and the pattern of discipleship. When we come to Jesus, He freely gives us. And, and we're going to talk in here uh, about the things that He's given us. <laughs> and and it's, it's a lot. There are a lot. Things, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we've been given that we don't even know we have. Right? 
Um, not, not stuff that He will give you. Not, not things that He will bless you with. The Bible says He has already given to you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, I, again, we could go on and on with these verses, and we will. So when you come to Jesus, He gives. We talked about this in class a little bit this morning. Do you remember when the younger brother returns from his um, wild living, riotous living, prodigal living, and, and the father instantly gives him a robe, a ring, and a pair of shoes, okay? And all of those things, highly symbolic, highly symbolic. Uh, and, and literally, each one of those um, signifying that this young man had been restored into full and right standing as a member of, of, that, of that household. And, of course, he was like, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. You know, let me earn my way. Let me, let me do enough good to try to, you know, get you to, you know, owe it to me, this kind of a, a, of a mindset. And, you know, this world even, you know, looks at that like, well, you know, you ought to hold off on giving him that ring, make sure he's not going to take it to the pawn shop, you know. In other words, the world kind of has this wait and see attitude. As a matter of fact, there are people who would say that's wise. You know, shouldn't you know? Well, I understand. You know, if 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 somebody could potentially be tempted or, or you know, that sort of thing. I, you know, I got that already. But remember, in this parable, come parable, this parable, the father in the story is representing our heavenly father. And when we come home to him, he instantly restores us back in the right standing good favor, and, and then gives us all of these things, amen, all of these blessings, all of these benefits, where the world tells you you got to earn it, you got to work your way back in, and, and, and these kinds of things. So when he says, come and I'll give, come and I'll give, he absolutely will. But then there's this, and it's not a catch, I'm not going to say it's a catch, okay, you know, it's like, well, yeah, but there's a, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. No, it's, it's, it, this, isn't, it, this is true, okay? But unless you let him teach you, okay? We're going to talk a little bit uh, in the evening service here at Heritage tonight. Uh, this word that we see a lot in the Old Testament, but more so in the New Testament, is this, co is this concept of something being a mystery, a mystery, okay? And I'm not talking about Nancy Drew book, okay? I, obviously, that's a mystery. But, I, but, but in, in, in biblical terminology, a mystery is something that you can never know any other way unless God reveals it to you, unless God shows it to you. Your, your meat computer can never figure it out. Your, your intellect can never comprehend it or embrace it. It has to be spiritually revealed to you by God, by the Holy Spirit. So I can stand here and tell you, and I will, don't misunderstand me, uh, I will tell you all the things that have been given to you, all the things that you've become, all the, the you know, your new identity in Christ, all of these things. But until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, that's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 2, that as born-again believers we have received, and then it's kind of awkwardly written there or awkwardly translated, he says we have received not the spirit of this world, okay, but we have received the Spirit who is from God so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Not things that God will give you if you go to a church enough. Not things God will give you if you play your spiritual cards right. No, things that He's already given to you, freely given to you. Okay, So come and I will give 
Learn manthano and you will find. See, he's wanting to teach you who you are. He's wanting to teach you what you can do now that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. He's wanting to reveal to you what's been given to you freely by God so that you can then walk in and operate uh, in that. And in a lot of ways, the, the sermon series we've been in on Wednesday nights is, is an extension of, of some of these things that we, we talk about constantly and thankful, you know, learning and, and, and growing. And one of my life verses is, if, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. And, and one of the things that maybe we'll get to it tonight, but discipleship is about the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. An inward reality of the new birth becoming an, an outward expression of life. And, and what we see is that there's all of these realities that are true about us right now. But what Father wants is come and I'll give. But he wants each one of us to experience, enjoy, and outwardly express those new realities. It's one thing to be given freedom. It's another thing to experience it, enjoy it, and express it. Right? One thing to be made righteous is another thing to experience, enjoy, and express it. It's one thing to be made prosperous. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. It's one thing to, to be made prosperous. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He has no sorrow with it. Okay? It's another thing to experience, enjoy, and express these things. And so discipleship is about you know, growing up into these things, becoming aware of these things. Um, in Philemon, it's just one chapter. But in Philemon verse 6, or chapter 1 verse 6, only chapter, okay. Um, he says that we are to acknowledge every good thing that's in us. <laughs> acknowledge every good thing that's in us. See, the, the spirit of this world, um, you know, in, in, in some of your cases, mom and them, right? They want to acknowledge every bad thing you've ever done, every mistake you've ever made, every problem you've ever had. You know, that, that's what they want to acknowledge, and the world says, if you don't acknowledge it, if you ever forget it, you're doomed to repeat it. Well, not necessarily, okay? Not necessarily. Somebody asked me one time, they said, they said how long should I uh, re remember these things? I said, I said as, as long as you need to and after, as long as you don't, when you come to the point you don't need to remember it anymore, you won't, right? So we're moving on into not who we were but who we are, not what we did but what we can do. Are you following what I'm saying? Amen. See, some of you were raised, you know, we all have different upbringings. Some of you uh, were, were raised in, in poverty and, and, and never had anything. Nobody in your family ever had anything. Uh, others raised with the, uh, what is it, the silver spoon, you know, so to speak, right? You know, and, um, and, then, and then folks, ever, you know, all in between all of that, right? Um, but see, again, that's the, that's the world's way of thinking and, 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 and doing. Father God wants... That, that's why he said the blessing of the Lord will make you rich and no sorrow with it. You, you, you can have a lot of sorrow and a lot of things at the same time. Father wants better for us than that. Amen or oh me? Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to pause for a moment. Sister Amy, what was the air conditioning set on? Okay. Amen. Well, I don't, it's kind of warm in here for some reason, and I don't, I don't feel it running. Yeah, there's no kinda it is. I'm just wondering if there's a is there some kind of issue with it or something. So um, yeah, amen. Well, I you know I'm just I plan on coming in here and sweating, but that's just I don't want y'all to. So 
Amen. All right, so we'll figure it out. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that. So, um, so um, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you will find. Amen. And of course, in between, I'm not just trying to leave out the part, but how do we learn? He's not just talking about learning about. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Okay. So again, there's different levels and degrees of learning. Did it kick on when you dropped it down or anything? It did the first time. It okay. Okay. Amen. I wonder if there's a... There's, does it say cool? Okay, all right. Yeah, I, something's up. It should, it should be, no, nah, something's, it should be blasting, so I don't know what the deal is. So anyway, um, amen. Praise God. We're on it, all right, let's go. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 2 and, um, and verse number 4, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 4. And um, it says this, speaking of God, He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, for some reason, for many years, I viewed this verse backwards from the way it reads and from what it is that Father is trying to say to us in this verse. I looked at it as you come to the knowledge of the truth and you get saved. And, and certainly you have to hear the gospel message and then believe and act upon it to receive salvation. But the Bible says up until that point, the things of God are foolishness to a man who hasn't been born again. So there is um, a requirement to come to the knowledge of the truth, and that is you've, you've got to have a spirit inside of you that's been created again and born again to be able to understand and process the truth that God has for you. There are a lot of things you will never understand until you're born again. Yes. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that. For those of you who are watching online, he's, he's talking about a class that he's taking in the morning. I believe that's by, one, two, three. Hey, well, it's, it's, it's yes or I, it's all in there, right? He's talking about drawing up the kingdom. And I, I started to mention this a moment ago when we were talking about things that we've been given. I, I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but I, I am hoping to you know, stir you up and, and get you curious about these things. But we'll, we mentioned kingdom overview, and, and that class is coming. But one of the last verses that we look at in the kingdom overview, oh, I just felt cold air. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, that, we, um, that, we, that we'll, we'll look at, one of the last things we'll look at after we explain what the kingdom is and, and so forth and so on is, um, do you have something to do with that air conditioning working, brother? Thank you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Chef to the rescue. Today's your birthday, brother? Oh. Okay, all right. Um, is that the Bible says that it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
And then some of Jesus' critics, they're like, okay, so this kingdom that you're talking about all the time, when it, when are you, when's it going to be inaugurated? And they were looking like for the ribbon-cutting ceremony or something, you know? And Jesus said, it's, it's not like that, okay? But then he goes on to say, he says, the kingdom of God shall be in you. You think, in me? What in the world? Right? But again, see, that this is... Uh, this is the wonders of your born-again spirit and what it can contain, okay? And so the kingdom of God, if you're born again, the kingdom itself is in you. Why is that important? It's because everything Jesus did, he did with the authority and the, and the rule and the reign and the realm and the resources of, of God's kingdom. He said this, he said, if you... Man, this is one of my favorite classes. I got a lot of favorite classes. I mean, he says, if you see me casting out demons with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is upon you, right? So, yeah, so that's just another one of those, what I call a new birth reality. If you've been born again, the reality is that the, the kingdom of God is within you. So, but now notice, we have to come to the knowledge of the truth about that, right? I mean, the truth is the kingdom's in you. You may have never heard that. You may have never read that in the Bible. Nobody may have ever told you that. You've been born again for 15 years. Guess what? The kingdom of God has been in you for 15 years, if you've been born again 15 years. okay. But now notice, if you're going to acknowledge something, you realize to, to acknowledge something, you've got to first of all be made aware of it. Now, But we also have this choice, so we, we can be made aware of these things, but never acknowledge it for, our, for ourselves. okay? All right, but anyway, praise God. So, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, guess what? There are a whole bunch of saved folks who have never come to the knowledge of the truth. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean they're not saved. You've got you to get into the kingdom, right, before the kingdom's ever really going to start making sense to you. I kind of, I like to, best I can at times, you know, visualize things. And, and um, it's been many, many years uh, since I have uh, been to uh, Disney World, and I've got some young grandkids, so uh, I know the day's coming, and I'm looking forward to that. But can you imagine, um, you know, going into Disney World, and there being 15,000 people standing there at the entrance, and nobody moving on into the park, okay? Because they thought that the ticket was just to get you in the front gate. And that's how a lot of people are with salvation. They're just happy to be saved. They're happy to be going to heaven. If anything, if they're going to be honest, they're just really happy to not be going to hell. And hopefully heaven, you know, will be a long way out there. Anybody remember raised in church, like, just, I was just, I just, God, please, I know you're coming back. Just don't come before I get my driver's license. You know what I'm saying? Let me, just wait, hold off on that, right? So, so in other words, I was just happy not to be going to hell. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't like I could, you know. It's like, if you're getting a load up today to go to heaven, I'd like to kind of experience life. Again, that's just foolishness and ignorance talking. So, but that's, I think a lot of people have that, that mindset is that they're just so happy to be in the front gate and, and, and to be in the kingdom that they never really realize that there's all kinds of things in that kingdom for them to learn about. And I'm not talking the magic kingdom, my father's kingdom, right? Um, all kinds of things for us to go and experience and, and, and enjoy and explore. Amen. So he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So discipleship, as we've been looking at all these things discipleship is and what it's about, discipleship is Father's way of bringing his children to the knowledge of the truth. 
bringing his children to the knowledge of the truth. And listen, you can, you can learn uh, at, a, at, a, at a fast pace. You can run, learn at a slow pace. I mean, again, that's, that's up to you. The fact that you're here on a Wednesday at 5, and again, we're not slamming anybody that's not here, okay? But again, you're putting forth effort, right, to learn, to grow, to develop, to, to, to you know, know truth and hear truth and experience truth in your life that uh, maybe others are not so excited about hearing, knowing, and learning. All right, so let's go now to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. And um, we will uh, circle back around to these verses at a later date. So I'm just going to, we're just going to look at uh, 17 through 21. Um, he's going to talk about how we put off the old behavior and conduct and put on the new by being renewed in the spirit of our mind. But before we do that, let's, let's look at verse, starting at verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, <clears throat> what you have to understand here to get the full meaning and effect of these verses, impact of these verses, is that he's talking to people, he's writing to people who have been born again. This letter is to the church at Ephesus. Okay, The letter to Ephesus is known to you and me as the book of Ephesians in the Bible. And he's saying to these folks who have been born again, right, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now I know that's kind of an awkward word, Gentile meaning non-Jewish person. But let me try to bring that concept of Gentile into the New Testament. The concept of a Gentile in the New Testament would be a man or a woman who does not have a covenant with God. See, Jesus made a new covenant, a new operating agreement with His own blood, ratified it with His own blood for you and me. So the relationship that we have with God is based upon something. It's founded upon something. God has made some very uh, uh, important declarations concerning his commitment to you. See, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about our commitment to him. But before he ever asked you for a commitment to him, he made one to you. And if you've been born again, the Bible says that he gave you the spirit as, an, as earnest money, right? A guarantee, if you will, that what he began in you, he will see it through to the end. The commitments that, that Father God has, has made to us are amazing. And, and He's put it in writing and He sealed it with the blood of His Son. So th this is what we mean to have a covenant. Again, we will spend a couple of classes on covenant, but I'm mentioning some things now and, and trying to give you a little background. If the, you know, some, of this, some of the terminology throws people. You know, they hear it, but what does that mean? Okay. Um, so think of a contract on steroids right? that can't be broken because it's ratified by the blood of Jesus. So, but he's saying that these people, born again men and women, they're saved, but they haven't come to the knowledge of the truth yet. So what's happening? They're actually living their lives on a daily basis like someone who doesn't know God, like someone who hasn't been born again, like someone who's an outsider, 
They're living like outsiders, and they're not outsiders anymore. They're insiders. And notice, it, why are they doing that? They're doing that because they're trying to live and walk in the futility of their mind, how they see it, how it looks, seems, and feels to them, based upon their life experience, based upon what they've learned up until this point. Are you following what I'm saying? And so he says, look, they're living as those who have their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God. Alienated means to be separated from. If you're born again, you're not alienated from the life and nature of God. You've become a recipient, a partaker of the divine nature of God. You, you, again, new birth reality. You, you have been given the life and nature of God without end in overflowing abundance. That's the word life, eternal life, abundant life. Okay, But they're living like folks who are separated from when they aren't separated from it. And notice it's because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Doesn't mean they're not saved. But for the most part, their, their life looks more like someone who's not saved than someone who has been. Okay. Then he goes on to say, but you have not so learned Christ. Anybody want to take a wild guess as to what that word learned is in the original language? Manthano. Okay. It's a discipleship word again. You have not been so discipled by Christ. Okay? But now, look, verse 21 begins, same sentence, comma, verse 20 ends with a comma. Verse 21 begins with a lowercase i. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. So think about what he's saying here. He's, he's saying to these, to these folks, you've been saved, but you're living like somebody who hasn't been. You're experiencing not the, the joys of salvation, but you're still struggling like somebody who doesn't have a covenant with God when you have one. You're living like an outsider when you're not an outsider, right? And he says, you didn't learn this from Christ if indeed you have been discipled by Christ. So what's missing here? They've come to the cross, but they have not accepted the yoke. They've received salvation at the foot of the cross, but they have not yet accepted Jesus' uh, invitation to be discipled, to be manthanoed, to be taught by and didascoed by Him. And so their life experience is, is far beneath what their privilege, what, what their opportunities, their potential um, actually should be. Are you, are you man, I just, oh, praise the name of the living God. I'm, I'm wanting you to see what, you see why I get so excited about discipleship, right? Man, it's, it's, what's been, it's what's missing in so many people's lives. You know, so many people born again and they think God did some kind of bait and switch on them. You know, it's like, man, we were promised all this abundant life and now, you know, it's like, uh, you know, and you, all, you always hear the statistics, you know, about, you know, the, the divorce rate in the church versus the divorce rate in the world and all these other things. And see, there's nothing to that God stuff. And I said, listen to me, come and I'll give. Learn and you'll find there's a lot of folks, right, who have received salvation, but they have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth, right? Now, I think we mentioned this one in overview. Um, I said already I have a lot of favorites, and this is one of my favorite definitions of discipleship. The Lord gave me this many, many years ago. But discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, okay? Some of you have been in classes that I've taught other places, other times. You hear me say this a lot, Okay. Discipleship is finding out, that's the discovery part that we talked about in the overview last week. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, you became something through the new birth that you were not before. 
but we know more about the person we were that no longer exists than the person we've become and now is. And because we know more about that person and our minds have been formed by the old person we were instead of the new person we became, we tend to live like the old person we were instead of the new person we became. And so discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Wow. And, and see, now, let, we've already talked about, we've mentioned freedom, we've mentioned righteousness, we've mentioned the kingdom, all right? And then Philemon, verse 6, acknowledge every good thing that's in you. See, let's, let's, let's introduce a, a, a new terminology for some of you. Some of you have probably heard this before. Righteousness by faith. You ever heard that one? Righteousness by faith. What does that mean, righteousness by faith? Well, if you come to Jesus, he justifies you. He makes you righteous, okay? But the more we believe we're righteous, the more righteousness will be reflected in our behavior, right? The more our self-image is formed by what the scriptures say about who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus, the more our life reality will reflect that. Again, the inward reality is the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. And so we've got to acknowledge these things. And, and we acknowledge these things different ways, but one way is by confessing it, by saying it. The Bible says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. How do we receive Him? By believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. And so we walk in Him by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouths. So we, we have to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Even when our behavior tends to point to another identity. Amen? All right. More on to come on that. So um, let's go to um, John chapter 8 and verse 31. John 8 and 31. Well, praise God. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, I'm going to divert you. We'll come, we'll, we'll come to that one in just a moment. You probably know that one, right? If you continue in my words, you're my disciples indeed. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, if you... Then said Jesus, those of you who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. All right, we'll come back to that one. Let's, let's talk about this because, you know, we're, um, we're already almost 6 o'clock, and we haven't even got to the title of this, the class yet. So <laughs> let's, uh, amen. Um, so we can talk about discipleship, finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ. But, but then also we see that discipleship is an uncommon commitment. You know, it's like, well, I like that part about finding out who I became the day I became a new creation in Christ, but this uncommon commitment stuff, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm really into that. Well, not, obviously not you. Look, look at you, what you're doing, you know, tonight to participate and, and, and cooperate together with God. Um, so Paul had something to say about this in a lot of places. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 24. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and so it says, um, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? 
run in such a way, well, obviously, um, Paul did not live in our politically correct uh, day of participation trophies, but uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Think of like a shadow boxer, okay? Or somebody who just runs around and around in a circle, right? Okay. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was considering the uncommon commitment world athletes, I'm sorry, world-class athletes make to, uh, you know, let's say in the Olympics, win a gold medal um, or, uh, um, you know, win a, uh, a heavyweight uh, boxing title or a national championship, th these kinds of things. It, it is an uncommon commitment. I, I think sometimes, like, when I talk about this, the, um, you know, young girls that are identified as gifted gymnasts, you know, they may move halfway across the country and, and live and go to school and do gymnastics uh, for years to prepare uh, for the Olympics. It's, it's, it's an otherworldly, uncommon commitment that they make. And so the Apostle Paul is using that as a comparison, right? He says that they do all of this for a perishable crown. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe, you know, when they would give those uh, holly leaf type crowns, you know, that turn brown and die, you know, in a few days. And so he's challenging you and me to, um, to consider the kind of commitment that these folks have made in athletics and that we should respond to our purpose and destiny in Father's eternal kingdom with the same type of uncommon commitment, okay? Now, I don't, I'm not here to you know, be that guy wagging my finger, but you know, how many folks feel compelled to come and be a part of this class? They're like, there's no way I can sit in a class for almost two hours. But those same folks think nothing of watching a two-hour movie or a three-hour ball game. Are you, are you what I'm saying here? Okay. So, you know, the, the idea is that there are all kinds of other things that, you know, when the trumpet sounds and, you know, the dust settles and time's no more counted on a clock or a calendar, right, that aren't going to amount to anything. It's a hill of beans, waste of time. Um, and, and, and so he's encouraging us to go after and to pursue those things. That's why, you know, commitment is one of the reasons why I encourage people to register for the class and to uh, be on the roll and, and to have some level of uh, commitment and accountability. It's what Brother Copeland calls a quality decision. And it's important that we learn to make those in life and follow through on them, okay? Now, 
this may be the simplest thing that I say tonight, but please do not overlook the significance of, of this, okay? Everything God wants to do in your life and through your life begins with showing up. It begins with showing up, right? Have you ever, um, have you ever had one of these experiences? I, I, I'm, I, I relate it more to like um, maybe like a church service or, a, or some kind of special meeting or, or, or something like that where you really didn't feel like going, you were tired, man, we'll just phone this one in tonight, we'll sleep in, blah, blah, blah. But you just, you kind of just drug yourself by the nap of the neck and, and, and went on, and all of a sudden you heard something, experienced something, witnessed something, God did something in your life, and you're like driving home, and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't stay at home, you know. Um, in other words, it, it may be too much for any of us to bear, if we were to see how much we've missed out on because we didn't show up, because we were somewhere else doing something else when Father God was wanting to meet with us and work in our lives. And I know that there are some, listen to me now, we're going to, you got to hang around here. I know I mentioned a lot of things we're going to talk about in the days ahead, but there are a lot of people who have an attitude that if God wants to do it, he'll figure out a way to get it done. If God wants to help me, he'll figure out a way to help me. And, and you know, God's going to do what God's going to do regardless of what we do. And my friend, the Bible does not support that at all, okay, at all. Um, one of the verses that we'll look at when we get to that section is that Jesus is asking his disciples not just to go work in the fields, he said they're, they're like sheep with no shepherd. There's people are lost and, and nobody to help them, nobody to teach them, nobody to love them, nobody to pray for them. And Jesus says to his disciples, not just for them to go help, but for them to pray for more helpers. Okay. So if you've got 100 acres of, um, of pole beans, <laughs> whatever, I'm just kidding, right? if you've got 100 acres of pole beans um, that are ripe and ready for harvest, and if you don't get them in the barn soon, they're going to literally ruin on the vines. Uh, does it not make sense to you that 50 people can get more pole beans in the barn than 10 people? And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, we think, well, if God wants to help all them people, he'll help them. No, he's like, I, I, I need somebody to help me help them. And, and so there's this, there's this aspect of, of these things you know, our willingness to cooperate with God, our willingness to show up, our willingness to, we were talking in the class this morning about going the extra mile because you experience things in the extra mile that you'll never experience, you know, the first nine-tenths of the, of the journey of, of a mile. And so everything God wants to do in your life and through your life begins with showing up. Just show up, right? Be present, be accounted for. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing, you know, the progress that we can make just by making that commitment that we're going to uh, show up and uh, be present. How about this? John 4 and 23. It says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, a, a worshiper is more than just someone, a true worshiper anyway, is more than just someone who 
um, who sings the latest contemporary Christian music and maybe sings it with their hands raised. Or, or I'm not making light of that. All of that, the Bible you know, instructs us how to worship God, how to praise God, and, and give Him uh, the praise that's due His name. Clapping, playing loudly, playing skillfully, dancing, all that stuff, okay? So I, I, by no means am I dissing any of that, right? But a true worshiper begins with an attitude of the heart. And a true worshiper is someone who, uh, first and foremost, recognizes who God is and who they are in relationship to Him. That's a true worshiper. A true worshiper, again, recognizes who God is and recognizes who they are in relationship to Him. And Father is seeking out men and women who understand that, who understand who He is and who understand who they are in relationship to Him. So if there's a such thing as a true worshiper, <laughs> you see what I'm saying, then there, is, uh, there has to be, uh, that's a, uh, what's the big word, differentiation. If, 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 there's, if he's making a, differ, a difference between someone who's a true worshiper, then we see that there would be those who are not. And so the same can be said about a, a disciple, a true disciple, uh, is someone who understands what discipleship is about, someone who's made the uncommon commitment, someone who, who is uh, you know, accepting Jesus' invitation to do life together with Him, uh, to, to join in with Him on uh, the, uh, the other side of that yoke. Um, some of you know the story. First Sunday of June 1998, um, Heritage Christian Center, as we like to say, was born uh, I don't know, about three blocks, they're big blocks, but uh, that way uh, in an industrial park in, in mine and my wife's cabinet business. And um, of course, my children were, were young in those days, and, um, and we, we kind of took some ribbon, you know, from folks. That's okay. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't dare even classify it as, as persecution compared to what some people in the world deal with because of their faith. But, um, you know, we had some other churches that... that weren't real happy with us. We didn't even have a sign that said we existed in those days. I mean, we weren't trying to, to take people from other churches. We were just trying to have a place. Well, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said that a cry had come up before his throne for a church like the one heritage would be, a place where people could come and be loved and accepted and learn and grow together no matter what color their skin was, no matter what problems or issues they may be struggling with um, in, uh, in life. And, um, and so we... we uh, are you know excited about that but um like we got called warehouse christian center you know that kind of thing because we our church was in a in a cabinet shop and then this one right here is the one that that really stood out to me not because of the jab but because of of the answer the lord uh told me to give right and um and so a friend of my daughter's uh she asked her one day she says do you think y'all will ever be a real church do you think y'all will ever be a real church? And what she meant by that is, do you think we'll ever meet in a building with a steeple on it? You know, I think that's what she was trying to say. But if you know my daughter, she's kind of feisty. You know, she, she, uh, she, she wasn't happy about that, and so she was telling me about it. And she said, Dad, I don't know what to say about that. I said, tell her that you sure do hope so. We want to be a real one. Are you hearing me? There's enough phony ones. Are you hearing me? I want to be a real one. I want to be a real worshiper. I want to be a real disciple. I want to be a real child of God. Are you following me? I want to be a real one. Yeah. Amen. I'm not saying I always, you know, I'm, I'm growing like everybody else. 
Um, do you think you all ever be a real church? I sure do hope so. I sure do hope so. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about the four levels of commitment as it relates to discipleship, okay? Four levels of commitment as it relates to discipleship. Now, I'm going to give you these terminology. I'm going to give you the terms, okay? And you do understand that, you know, words can mean different things to different people. The same word can be used um, with different meanings. So I'm asking you to not just hear the content, but to hear the heart and the spirit behind what I'm saying. And I'm going to look at these verses within the context, um, these words rather, within the context of certain verses. Um, and you say, well, well, Pastor, I, you know, I'm a believer, and yes, you are, and I am too, okay? Um, but again, I'm wanting you to, to understand the heart and the spirit and the, and the, the definition, if you will, um, behind these words, because it's, it's that bigger picture that I'm more interested in you seeing, okay? And so these um, four levels of commitment, the first one we see is believer, Okay, believer. And the second one is follower. The third one is disciple. And then the fourth one is Christian. Okay, Christian. Anybody want to take a guess at what Christian means? <laughs> Christ-like, right? Christ-like. Do you see how that relates back to Manthano didasco, uh, in that Jesus teaches for the purpose of pouring himself into and making others similar to himself. Okay, so that's, that's Christ-likeness, or what it means to be um, a Christian or a Christian. Okay, now, the first one, believer, is probably going to be one that's a little more challenging because... We think in terms of, well, I'm a believer. Okay, yeah, but listen to how Jesus um, and, and how, the, how this word is used in, in a situation with, um, with Jesus in John uh, chapter 2. So let's go there, John chapter 2. And if, if you're familiar with what's happened in John chapter 2, Jesus has um, launched his earthly ministry. And he has performed... Uh, his first miracle on earth as a man. Obviously, Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and He was present when the worlds were created. He is uncreated. He's always been and He always will be. And we celebrate at Christmas not His beginning, but we celebrate at Christmas Him coming to this earth as a human being, as a man, okay? And so we know that Jesus was born of a virgin, and we know that he was born under the law, which meant he had to wait until he was 30 years old to begin a public ministry. And we know that he was um, baptized by John. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was led out into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he returned in the power of God's Spirit. Okay, And... We see that this first miracle was Jesus turning water into wine. Now, I was raised a teetotaler Baptist, okay? 
And um, just to be honest with you, in my very immature uh, lack of understanding days, um, I was a little bit disappointed that that was the first miracle because I didn't even think folks ought to be drinking any of that wine. Now Jesus went and turned some water into it. And so, and to be honest with you, I, I, I steered away from that whole miracle that we find. It's, don't read it now, but it's in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 for a, for a long time. Because, I, you know, again, there's some things there, and I'm not here to try to teach on all that um, tonight. Um, but when the church started in 1998... I was determined to teach on prayer on Wednesday nights. And um, I think I did the first Wednesday night. But I had been doing some studying in John, and the Lord began to really show me some things from that first miracle. And so I said, well, I'm going to teach on John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 tonight, and then we'll get back to the prayer study. I think I even told the people that. We'll get back to the prayer study next Wednesday. <clears throat> 252 sermons later, not, I'm telling you, they're all, they're all right back there in, in, in cassette tape form, okay? Um, and what the Lord showed me was that in that first miracle, He was revealing everything that He came to do for us, okay? Uh, earthen vessels filled with water that became new wine that weeped through the vessels to overflowing. Again, if, if you take... The, think of the Old Testament as a leaf of a hinge, New Testament as a leaf of a hinge. The linchpin that bridges those obviously is Jesus. But we see that in that first miracle, He revealed everything that He had come to do for us. And, um, and so it's, it's, again, an amazing thing. I'm, I, I'm not here to teach on that, but I'm just trying to orient you. We're, we're in John 2 now. Okay, And we see because of the miracles that Jesus was now uh, working and performing, he was attracting a crowd. And notice what it says here. And follow this through, then let me do some explaining. Okay, Verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Now, not just, not just a miracle... That's another thing the Lord's taught me. I, I like the translations that, that instead of sign, it says miracle. And certainly it was a miracle. But by using the word sign, is he's saying that what the people were seeing was pointing to a greater reality. The miracle was a sign of something much bigger or much deeper or, or much more important, so to speak. And so the people are seeing these things, undeniable, measurable, verifiable. I mean, it's like, you know, I was, I was, I was there the day after that guy had the accident, and, and he hasn't walked for 10 years, and he's walking now uh, without pain. I mean, you know, it was, it was that kind of, even Jesus' enemies that hated his guts, you know, wanted to kill him and eventually, you know, did. There were things that they witnessed him do that they said, it's undeniable. I mean, this guy was born blind. We know he's blind. You know, he's seeing now. And, and so this is what's going on. And so notice it says that many believed, and I'm using the kind of dittos here, 
They believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them. Kind of doesn't, That doesn't sound like Jesus to me, does it you? He didn't commit Himself to them because He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for He knew what was in man. Okay? So how, how are we to understand this? How, how are we to take this? See, we read this, many believed in His name, and we think these folks just got saved. Well, that's, that's not what this means. Um, you have to ask yourself, okay, what is it that they believed? Okay? And, and they believed that He was a cool guy. They believed He could do things they ain't never seen anybody else do. They believed that He would stand up to religious bullies. They, they, you understand? Some people believed He was a prophet. They believe, but... This is a far cry from you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I, you know, the, what, the, the level of believing or faith that is required for someone to receive salvation. And what we see here is that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew that these folks were not willing to make the level of commitment necessary to be his disciple. Now, if this, again, sounds a bit odd or strange or this doesn't sound like Jesus, remember now, he is on a three-year clock and he has got to be about his father's business and he's, he's got to get done what he's got to get done and then out of here and turn the church over to us. So these folks, Jesus knew they... I don't, I don't want to... I'm not trying to belittle these people, but... I, I sometimes relate it or try to explain it this way. They were fans. Right? I mean, Jesus was all that in a bag of chips. I mean, Jesus was a very popular person and his popularity was growing and, 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 and you know, people would throng him and, and all this other stuff. And so you've got these people who like, you know, you know, rush him and, oh, Jesus, we believe in you and all this stuff. But Jesus knew their hearts. Now watch this, though. At this moment, Jesus was on a clock, right? That's changed now. Jesus isn't on the clock anymore. We're on the clock, right? And, and I, I pray every one of us in here live to 120, all right? But even if we live to 120, your clock is counting down, right? So it's not that Jesus was being rude to these people or being impatient with these people. Um, he had a, a mission and an assignment and he knew, you know, spend eight weeks with these folks and, and they're, they're not willing to make the, the commitment that needs to be made to uh, be uh, one of his disciples. So he did not commit himself to them because he knew they were not ready to make that commitment. And this, again, is a classic example. Am I boring you? Y'all, 620, okay, I mean, was, I told you last week that it, it wouldn't take long before you're like, is it really almost over? It's, we're coming down the home stretch. Everybody good? Yeah? Can you push on through with me for a little bit longer? Okay. So, so this is a classic example of Philo with no agape. In other words, when these people believed in Jesus, I mean, they got these warm, fond, affectionate feelings for him. They're like, Jesus, man, you are the man. I will follow you anywhere you go. Right? They're, they're all excited about this. But Jesus knew that, that without the agape, without the right kind of respect for him, without the right kind of commitment, without the right kind of sense of responsibility and duty and obligation, right, that, that these folks were not ready. Okay? 
It's not that Jesus wasn't ready for them. They weren't ready for Jesus. Is that, is that a good way of saying it? All right. Now, all right. So, so let's move now to the concept of a follower. A follower. And what we see in terms of a follower, and there's other verses I'm trying to kind of get this part before we're out of time. Uh, in John the 6th chapter, we see that many of His disciples even, folks that had, had made the commitment to be a disciple, um, the Bible says they went back and walked with Him no more. Um, I think it's the King James Version that says they followed Him no more. Okay? Now, what I'm wanting to emphasize, among other things, is the difference between someone who was a fan and had some measure of belief, right, versus a follower. Um, a follower is somebody who take off work and, um, and go out, follow Jesus out into the countryside and, and maybe sit there for a day and a half, two days, and listen to Him teach. Obviously, they've made a, a commitment uh, beyond what uh, other folks have made. Remember what I said last week? One of the things in the overview about a disciple, a disciple is someone who's willing to give Jesus a place in their lives that others are not willing to give him. And so these folks have, have given him uh, a bigger place, more room. Uh, they showed up at a meeting uh, to hear Jesus teach, you know, kick the tires, see what all the hoopla is about, right? Um, and, and maybe, you know, they went back the next opportunity they had. He came back through town and they went and heard him again, you know. Um, but then as Jesus is slowly but surely um, turning up the, um, you know, the strength, if you will. You know, you got weak coffee, strong coffee, you know what I'm saying? Uh, all truth is strong, but, you know, how Jesus presents it and, and, and truth breaks chains. Uh, and when you got strong chains, it takes some strong truth to break them. And so Jesus preaches this sermon about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. Again, these are covenant terms that these people would have been familiar with, and they would have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid, you, you know, pinky promise or uh, cross my heart. You ever say cross my heart, hope, to, don't say it, this is stupid to say, but we said it when we were kids, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. What are we saying? We're saying that if I break my word to you, um, you, you can stick a needle in my eye. You know, well, we didn't do that. That's gross. But, 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 but all of that is carryover and remnants from families that would enter into covenants with one another all these many generations ago. And one of the things that they would say, uh, again, extreme, not cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. They would say, literally, if I have to kill one of my children and feed him to your children so your children can stay alive, I'll do that. Now, I'm not saying anybody ever did that, but that was the kind of severity that they were vowing, um, you know, in, in terms of honoring the, the terms of the covenant that they entered into. Okay? Um, now, <laughs> What we see then is God's like, okay, y'all have said for generations, you'd kill one of your kids to, to save another family. I'm willing to do that. Are you going to drink my son's blood and eat his flesh? Again, spiritual, not talking about cannibalism here. But the people were offended at this. And the Bible says that a lot of people, I believe it was thousands, who had followed Jesus up until that point, followed him no more. So notice their commitment only went so far. 
All right. Now, what we see is that later in the uh, in the evening, Jesus is sitting there with his inner circle, and he says to them, he says, "Are you going to leave me also?" And Peter says, "Where else will we go? You have the words of life. Where else will we go, Jesus? When you speak, something comes alive inside of me." And they're saying, "Jesus, we, there's nowhere else we can get the answers." That we're getting from you. There's nowhere else we can hear what we're hearing from you. We're not going anywhere. Okay? That's the commitment of a disciple. But now watch this. Watch this. They didn't understand the sermon either. But they're saying, look, you know, we don't know what you're talking about either, Jesus, but we know it's right. And we're not going anywhere. Do you, do you see the difference there in the commitment? Um, I thought we would get there tonight. I don't, I don't think we're going to get there. So we'll get there next week. But in Matthew 13, the Bible's clear about it. That, that the thief comes to steal the word. Satan comes to steal the word. And he's able to steal the word that we don't understand. Right? So when we don't understand something, what do we do? Well, you know, do we, do we lower it to match our life experience? Or do we say, you know what, God, this is your word. And your word's eternal. And you're, you're not a man and you can't lie. And so uh, I, I got some understanding here that I need. But I know that you're right, and I know that I can't go anywhere else to find the answers for my life that I can only find from you. See, do you see the difference in the commitment there? A disciple is one who doesn't tuck tail and run first time that something happens they don't understand. Amen or oh me? All right. So I never put that verse up there. But anyway, John, I'm sorry. I'm trying to fly the plane here and teach the class. So that's John chapter 6, verse 66. Now... This brings us to the commitment level of a disciple. A disciple. And this is in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 36. And we see this same uh, uh, expression uh, that we, f we saw in John chapter 2. Uh, believed in Him. So as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Many believed in Him. So let's... Try to real quick like talk about what's going on. Jesus is in the temple. This is when they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. Threw, G threw her at Jesus' feet. They were trying to trick him. It wasn't about the woman so much as it was they were trying to put Jesus in an impossible situation. And so they said, Moses' law says she must die. What do you say? Because they were wanting Jesus to condemn this woman to death. And of course we know that he did not. But he didn't sweep her sin under the rug. Again, all symbolic. He knelt down. He rode in the dirt. Kneeling down was symbolic of him saying, look, instead of them dragging you outside the gate and, of the city and killing you for your sin, roll your sin over on me and I'll let them drag me outside the city gate and, and let them uh, execute me. Let them punish me instead of you. And that's what he did, come on now, for every single one of us. This is usually where I tell a really long story. I'll try to tell it really quick. First time I remember spending the night with a classmate, um, Friday night, mom picked us up from school on a Friday, and, and uh, so we went to Highlander Foodland there uh, uh, near my house and their house and get snacks and, and, um, for the weekend and for the night. And they grab a pack of a bag of potato chips off the rack, and mom, or I think little brother, I can't remember, somebody opened them, and I'm like, what are they doing? You know, And... Um, and so they start chowing down on the chips while we shop. And I'm like, we're all going to jail. You know, I mean, we're in trouble. And um, you don't want some chips? I'm like, no, buddy. I won't have grease on my fingers when the police come, you know. And, um, 
so did all the shopping and came time to check out and I'm like I'm staying kind of back you know and uh, and um, and Miss Jones literally Miss Jones she she laid the empty bag of potato chips on the belt and paid for them and the clerk acted like it was something people did all the time my family never did that okay. but she acted like it was something that they that they did all the time well to understand Jesus forgiving this woman, right? Are you seeing what I'm saying? Um, everybody that, that was forgiven of sin before Jesus was forgiven on credit. And was a, they ate the chips and Jesus, you know, paid for the empty bag, right? He paid for the, for the sin. Now, for you and me, right, we live on the other side of this, right? He, we, we, we're... In other words, they were all, remember he was, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. <laughs> God cooked the books based upon what Jesus would, you realize everybody that was healed in the Old Testament was healed on credit as well. But see, now we live in the day of these things, not, not, in other words, our, our righteousness and healing is not on credit. It's already been bought and paid for. Okay. So, <clears throat> so. This is what's happened in the temple. I didn't mean to go down that road, but obviously we needed to for a minute. All right. And Jesus stood up to the religious bullies. And, and people knew. They could see through it, right? They knew what those men were trying to do. And that poor woman. And where's the man? And all this other stuff, right? And so there was some philo for Jesus. There, there was some, man, that Jesus guy. I, I've heard about him. He is cool, man. I'm telling you, I've never seen anybody stand up them, them religious jerks like that, you know, and, just, and all this stuff. And so Jesus saw a crack in the door. That he said to these people who believed in him, you know, what's that old saying? What, what did they know and when did they know it, right? What did they believe and when did they believe it? See, we hear believed in him. This doesn't mean these folks are like confessing him as Lord. But they did have some level of belief in him. And so Jesus sees a crack in the door, and this is what he says to them. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word. So notice now the if you abide in my word. The if implies what? Or states what? That this is something they're going to have to choose to do. This is something that he's giving them the opportunity to commit to, but he can't commit to it for them. He can only commit to do his part, Dadasco. They've got to commit to do their part, Manthano. So Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. My disciples show enough, okay, in performed action. <laughs> and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. See, we love to quote verse 32, you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. But we forget that part about continuing and abiding in the word, being his disciples, indeed, uh, and, and then through this process, remember, all men saved come to the knowledge of the truth. All men saved come to the knowledge of the truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, if you haven't read or studied beyond this, I hate to burst your bubble, but this does not have a happy ending. These people are sorely offended at this. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, you don't have to be uh, a Jewish history scholar to know that these folks 
have been enslaved by and brought in bondage to um, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Syrians. Can somebody say Rome right now? Are you following what I'm saying? Notice the arrogance here. Notice the get up in Jesus' face, right, when, um, when he invites them into this discipleship, student, teacher relationship. They're like, hold on a second, Jesus. You must not know who we are. We're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, there's a whole lot of teaching here. I'll try to do it quickly, all right? <clears throat> Jesus used the word for free that means to be made free from sin. Um, Eleutherou. Anybody have heard of a of Eleutherous Island? It's kind of it's kind of a hedonistic. Uh, I'm not advertising for him. I'm just saying this the word. Okay. Um, Jesus said, "You'll be Eleutherou." Two O's on the end with different um, pronunciations for the O's. When they responded, they said, um, <clears throat> "Who do you think you are? We're Abraham's descendants." We've never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say you'll be made free? They use, he, that's not what Jesus said. They used a different version of the word with a different meaning. And the different version of a different meaning literally meant nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to be the boss of me. So the attitude there was it's not that they didn't know about Rome. <laughs> it's just like we don't care about Rome. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. We're going to do whatever we want to do. Okay. So Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I'm not talking about an empire. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, some other government. I'm not talking about politics now. We're talking about something much deeper. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Okay? So Jesus came to make us sons of God. Right? And if Jesus makes you a son, daughter of God... You will abide in Father's house forever because you're no longer a slave. You've been made a son. And if you've been made a son, you abide in Father's house until you make a mistake. Is that what he said? No, he said you abide in Father's house forever. The part that we sometimes lose track of here is that father's sons still make mistakes. Father's sons still commit sin on occasion. But even if you're one of father's sons that still struggles in some area of sin, you're still a son. And because you're a son, you abide in father's house forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed means free in your performed action. Think about what he's saying here. Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll make you free. 
And then if you'll let me teach you, if you'll take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, I'll teach you how to live free in your performed action. But Father God in His infinite wisdom understands that we can never consistently live in some way opposite to who we be. So He knew that if we were ever going to effectively and consistently live as free people, free from enslavement to sin, He was going to have to first and foremost make us free people. And if we let Him make us free people and then let Him teach us how to live like the free people He made us, that we can actually express, experience, and enjoy freedom in Christ. But do you see how discipleship is what's missing in all of this? And Jesus is doing what? He is inviting them into a deeper level of commitment to Him and with Him. But no, no, no. No, sir. We didn't sign up for that, Jesus. We're not interested in being no disciple here. And interested in continuing in what you have to say. We just thought what you, you know, you were nice to that lady. And, and um, you know, she used to babysit me when I was a kid and, and she's a good person. She just struggles in, in, in some things like everybody does and those guys shouldn't have embarrassed her that way. And, and, and you could have you had her stoned and you, and you showed her mercy. And, and, but no, nah, disciple, are you kidding me? You see the warm, fond, affectionate feelings but no respect. Warm, fond, affectionate feelings but the minute Jesus actually asked them to enter into some level of commitment they're like uh, no thank you no we're not doing that now notice if they kept this attitude they're the ones that are missing out and Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood what that really looked like okay now thank you Jesus um I believe philo with no agape for the Lord is one of the greatest problems in the church today, to be honest with you. Um, anyway, praise God. Now, this brings us to this final part, um, and that's this term Christian, okay? And um, Christian... 639. Let's try. Can we try? Okay. All right. So let's go to Acts chapter 11. And we will, we will, we'll come back and expand on this next week. But let's just at least get this out here, okay? Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Praise God. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now, if you're familiar with what's happened, Stephen was one of the original deacons in the church, and he was stoned to death. Um, we know him as Paul, but in those days he was not known as Saul. And uh, he basically overseed and was consenting to uh, Stephen's execution. This was before uh, Saul was born again, for, before his conversion. Okay, and this, the the murder of Stephen and and basically no one in authority or in government doing much of anything about it, emboldened a lot of other Christian haters, Jesus follower haters, Jesus disciple haters, and and so the 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 born again people 
scattered, but it's kind of like throwing water on a grease fire. You, you don't ever want to throw water on a grease fire because it doesn't put the fire out. It just spreads it, right? And so that's what happened. They threw a bucket of water on a grease fire. And now you've got these born-again, spirit-filled men and women scattered out all over the area. And they've gone now as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists, again, speaking of, of Greek people, I'm not trying to get into all the ethnicities here, um, but notice what happened, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And we're going to go check this out, right? There's no Fox News, CNN News. There's no smartphones or anything like that. You just, you just got to go, right? So when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Sounds a little bit like something Jesus said. If you continue in my word, if you abide in my word. And so Barnabas, you know, he's going to check this out for himself. And he's like, Shazam, man, there's a lot of people getting saved out here in these, these uh, you know, other areas, if you will. And so he noticed what he encouraged them to do. With great purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Great purpose of heart. That's that uncommon commitment of discipleship, right? With great, with great intent, with great deliberation. Not, not just if we get around to it, we'll, we'll do it. No, great purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. We're calling in the big guns, right? <laughs> and when, this was after, obviously, Saul's conversion. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. First called Christ-like in Antioch. This is significant for a lot of reasons, okay? One is because we now have Jesus assimilated into a group of people, right? And where's Jesus? He's already left this earth sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out the Holy Spirit. So now Holy Spirit-led men and women with, with the Word of Jesus, with the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit working through them, now they're discipling other people, Right? Holy Spirit's overseeing the discipleship process now in your life, my life, in their lives. But notice that it resulted in outsiders. See, that's the part we don't understand about this. People who were first called Christ-like, this was not considered a compliment. These, these were people who, who uh, were thinking they were, you know, jabbing them, uh, um, you know, uh, saying ugly things about them. But notice that these people had become so much like Jesus that people said, man, y'all start to talk like that, 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 that guy they call Christ from, from Nazareth. You, you, you start to act like him. Bunch of Christians, right? Bunch of Christ-like, uh, amen. So do you, do you see, now listen, again, have we used these, these terms, that's fine, but but. Word's supposed to mean something. Amen? Amen? It's like a lot of folks sing at the top of their lungs, I am a friend of God, right? Well, if you read the Bible carefully, that's, 
<laughs> there's, there's something about being a friend of God, right? And it's people who are willing to have a relationship with God on his terms instead of their own. So not everybody that sings, I'm a friend of God, top of their lungs. They can be, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And not everybody who calls themselves a Christian may actually measure up to um, people who have made a commitment for a year. Do you see that? Great purpose of heart. They taught them for a year, and at the end of that year long of intensive learning and studying and growing, they emerge from that with outsiders calling them Christ-like. That does something for me. I hope it does something for you. Amen. Amen. All right, 645. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for life and peace. Lord, I, I quit counting a long time ago, but it looks like at least as many folks in this room, maybe more than were here last week. Father, I know how that makes me smile from the inside, and I can only imagine how it makes you smile, Lord, that this many people willing to do what they're doing and sacrifice what they're sacrificing on a Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, Lord, to come and learn and grow and develop, be taught and be equipped so they can go and teach and equip others. Father, I thank you for these men and women, but also thank you, Lord, for the the literally thousands upon thousands of men and women that these men and women will potentially reach for your glory. Thank you for all those, Lord, who are joining us online live and those who will watch, Lord, the recording later. I thank you that you're working in our lives and you're bringing glory forth from our lives to glorify your name. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you again for being here. Uh, thank you for your commitment. If you haven't signed uh, the role... Uh, please do so, and um, unless you haven't registered. So if, if you haven't registered, please fill out a registration form. If you have registered, then, then sign the list, and, uh, and uh, we love you. Good things coming. Praise